Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy Friday. My name is Nicole Thomas, VP of Information Services here at McKinney Flavelle. And today is March 31st, 2023. Welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. And today I have with us our very own Eric Thornton. Hey, Eric. Hey, Nicole. Hey, everybody. Uh, and today we are going to talk about the grain stocks and the prospective plantings reports, both of which were released today. And uh, I don't know what the deal is, Eric. I think um, Mike and Kevin and Craig and Sean, I think they just don't want to do podcasts with us, buddy, because we, we seem to be uh, holding down the fort for some of these of late. Yeah, I think there's some collusion going on there uh, yeah. <laughs> in the office to really give it to us for whatever reason. But uh, I know we're we're definitely tuned to handle it. Yeah, that that indeed. Um, so speaking of, we're going to cover soy, corn, wheat, and a little bit on sugar, beet uh, plantings for this today's report. Uh, but, but before I do that, don't forget to all our listeners to register for our upcoming spring seminar. That's April 26th in Oak Brook, Illinois. Uh, we have registration available online via our website, McKinneyFlavelle.com. And this year, similar to last year, we offer the option of attending virtually or in person. And obviously, we would much rather see you yes. in person. <laughs> and, you know, plus we buy you drinks when you're in person. So if that, you know, motivates you to show up, we'll use whatever tools we have in our toolbox. So anyway... What everybody's been waiting for, we've been talking about this for months. Uh, we had our USDA Ag Outlook Conference and the first projections for our acreage and yield way back then at the end of February. But today's reports are the ones that everyone's looking forward to, to get the start of the upcoming marketing year and and start running numbers through their heads. And we've done a few, a few of those. And like most of these report days, you can kind of just take a look at the quote board and see what's happening with futures and get a pretty solid indication of, uh-oh, was there trouble here? Or hmm, this one might be fine. So I don't know, Eric, what do you think? Maybe we start with corn and soybeans, uh, and then I can hand it off to you for wheat? Yeah, let's go with that. What did uh, you see there on corn if we start with that? Yeah. Uh, so corn... Um, a little better than expected, actually. We got uh, 92 million acres as the projection here. That would be up 4% from 2022. And that did come in a bit above average uh, analyst expectations, hence why we uh, saw a little pressure on that market today. And it looks like the, the major states expecting to plant more include Iowa looking to plant over 13 million acres, Indiana at five and a half million acres, and Illinois at 11 million acres. So, you know, looking good uh, from a corn standpoint. Now, when we start to look at the balance sheet for 2324, uh, that acreage number of 92 million should get us uh, in a scenario where we are finally starting to recover for ending stocks. Very easy to run the numbers, even with, you know, some, some moderate growth in consumption and perhaps, you know, a little boost uh, from carrying. 
of a scenario where we could be very close, if not past, 2 billion bushels of ending stocks for the first time in a long time. And every participant in the market that's been frustrated with corn prices in the sixes and the sevens, and at one point even pushing into the eights to finally have a scenario that may suggest we're going to get um, prices back comfortably in the fives. And, and who knows if we have a stellar yield, maybe, uh, maybe we'll even get to break that $5 a bushel level uh, Ooh, at some nice. point. That would be great. Now I said all that, <laughs> but one of the challenges to breaking that $5 uh, level is the relationship between corn and soybeans mm. when it comes to acreage. And in the case of soy, those plantings uh, came in right right at the USDA projection uh, last month of 87 and a half million acres. Now that one was a little problematic for the market. We saw we were up quite a bit throughout trading today. And uh, arguably that's because the market was anticipating a number, a little higher number, something closer to 88.3 million acres. And again, kind of, you know, pointing folks attention towards that balance sheet potentially for 23-24, that probably isn't going to get us uh, much relief in terms of tight stocks. Uh, as I ran some of the numbers today, taking a look at, you know, acreage as low as 87 and a half, if we, you know, get some pressure on demand, so lower exports uh, in 23-24, and just some minor, very minor, like a 20 million bushel increase to crush, and, and a good yield, 50 bushels per acre, we could see those stocks climb a bit to, you know, 280, 290 million. However, if we get a little stronger demand, we could very well see ourselves uh, sitting in a, a yet another year of ending stocks sitting somewhere between 200 and 250 million bushels, which is going to continue to kind of keep that bullish pedal on soy, at least until uh, South America starts talking about their plantings for 23, 24, you know, late third quarter, early fourth quarter of this year. So overall, from an acreage standpoint, market wasn't all that excited about the number for soy, feeling a little better about the number for, for corn. But ultimately, uh, I guess we could kind of read this as a, a bullish report in that uh, if soy doesn't get more acres and remains tight, it could also continue to support prices uh, for corn. So we need some stocks improvement. And speaking of stocks, we also got the grain stocks report. In the case of uh, corn, that was pegged at 7.4 billion bushels as of March 1st. And that was about 1% below average analyst expectations. So came in a little lower than, than expected, but ultimately, you know, arguably what, what we would have expected in terms of kind of the, the pace of, of consumption thus far. That took out about 3.4 billion bushels worth of usage in that December to, to February timeframe, uh, which was actually lower. Uh, than what we saw for for that quarter during the the last two marketing years, but higher than usage in uh, call it that time frame for 2018-19 as well as 2019-20, and we also have to consider that of those stocks, a little over 4.1 billion bushels or 55 percent of the total is still in the hands of farmers. So we know what that means. What does that mean for basis, Eric? Mm. 
<laughs> it's going to be strong. Going to be strong. <laughs> so lots of reinvestment over the years, a more on-farm storage, and that appears to be paying off for farmers as far as uh, basis values are concerned. And anyone kind of following along with that, our toll users out there, I'm sure, not necessarily the best news you wanted to hear, uh, but definitely representative of, of the trend we've noticed the last five or six years here with more and more of that corn being on farm later and later into mm-hmm. the season. Now, uh, in the case of soybeans, uh, arguably a little bit of a, of a shocker there. Uh, those stocks as of March 1st were 1.6, almost 1.69 billion bushels. So, and that was lower than last year than by about 13% and also fell below the average analyst expectation of closer to 1.75 billion. Uh, so again, uh, more sort of bullish fuel for for the fire, uh, at least uh, for the short term. In the case of, of holdings there, you know, I think ultimately this continues to support basis values for soybeans as well. But I will also say when you dig into the numbers a little bit there, arguably uh, just based off of that year over year decline, perhaps we're going to see our ending stocks number for this year go up a little bit. So yes, down from last year. But when we kind of run that against our final number for 21-22, that may indicate that our ending stocks for this year are going to be a little closer to 235, maybe 240 million bushels, uh, which is higher than that number currently sitting at 210 million bushels for the projection. So, you know, brighter days ahead potentially, uh, but with this acreage number, probably going to see that timeline (laughs) extended before we can really feel comfortable. And I think it also kind of reiterates the point. um, I know you and I have definitely been making with clients of late with this recent sell-off to not look gift horse in the mouth there and, and apply, you know, a little bit of coverage, start chipping away at that number because there's still upside risk that exists, including via the weather. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but Sure. What what about wheat, Eric? What did we see there? Yeah, well, wheat uh, kind of stole the show a little bit in some cases, if just looking year over year, um, because we are now projected to be just shy of 50 million acres planted at 49.9, which is oh, up wow. 4.2 million acres year wow. over year. So that would be the most in seven years. And, you know, we had a really strong belief we would see, uh, obviously, a, a swift increase in those acreage numbers because of the January winter wheat seedings report we had earlier in the calendar year here where we already knew we were going to be near 37 million acres for winter wheat. But that number actually increased uh, an additional 500,000 from the January Mm -hmm. report to today's number. So that made up most of the difference in today versus comparing it against the USDA's ag outlook number of 49.5 million acres. And it also exceeded trade expectations by more than a million total acres. And kind of getting into some of the the details and specifics, uh, the states that are seeing some of the largest increases, uh, no surprise um, when talking about hard red winter wheat, at least in Kansas, up 800,000 acres to 8.1 million total acres. Texas seeing a 20% increase from 5.3 to 6.7 million acres, basically 
taking away a lot of cotton inc- acres that were increased last year. So those two states really made up for a majority of the increase. The other notable regions I'd call attention to, and it's something we talked about uh, really over the last uh, four or five months, was the added incentive this year for crop insurance to encourage farmers to double crop, mm-hmm. uh, meaning plant a winter wheat crop in the fall, right. harvest that crop, and turn around and plant soy in, in the late spring. So some of those kind of swing states, uh, Missouri, Illinois in particular, up 37 and 35%, looking at a 468,000 acre increase between those two states combined. And then also Indiana and Michigan were up 52 and 46% versus last year up 360,000 acres combined. So those two uh, regions are making up about 800,000 acre increase and pretty steep year-over-year changes. Soft red winter, marginal decrease there, but we're sitting at 7.8 million acres. White wheat held steady, 3.7 million total acres in the Pacific Northwest. Spring wheat actually uh, looking like it's going to be down just marginally, 2%. Uh, that's usually the number we see, uh, mostly anticipated today, but like I said, it was kind of winter wheat once again, that stole the show. So we're looking at 10.6 million acres for spring wheat. And then Durham wheat did see a 9% increase with a few more acres being planted in North Dakota. So we're now at 1.78 million projected to be planted this spring. That'd be the most since 2018. Um, again, I'd say, while it looks great, again, on paper, I've been saying this for many months mm-hmm. now, is is we just have to keep in mind how really poor that Southern Plains is and remains. And when you look at uh, Kansas, Texas, and Oklahoma, those three states combined that are dealing with still significant and exceptional drought, you know, that makes up 40% of the total wheat scenario and supply. So we just got to really... Uh, see if we can get some rainfall over the next month right. as the crop emerges from its dormancy, uh, dormant state. And um, But we're definitely going to be well below an average harvest rate for that crop. If, if folks kind of tuned into our webinar this Wednesday, you'd see I showed a graphic of that with some possibilities. I think we're definitely going to be below average. It's just a matter of how far below if we get the rain or not. So kind of mixed reaction on the the futures markets as well. We did see a little bit of a bearish influence for KC and Chicago with, again, a little bit fewer acres to be desired for for spring wheat. So it had the Minneapolis up about a dime, but it looks like we're not seeing too much in the way of dramatic shifts uh, here on out. But uh, quickly kind of recapping the stocks report, you know, nothing earth shattering there pretty much on par with industry expectations. Uh, we were reported as of March 1st, 946 million bushels, a little bit more consumption um, versus a year ago, but we are you know, down 8% in terms of our stocks on hand versus last year. So again, tighter wow. is the story. Uh, yes, there's optimism similar to Nicole's corn outlook, but I think we're going to be a little bit more muted in that sense that you know, maybe we're not going to turn uh, overly bearish on wheat. Just have to see how, you know, weather plays out. And again, looks like it's going to be another challenged hard red winter wheat crop that probably keeps price expectations from falling too low this fall. So that's what we had on, on acreage, uh, Nicole. And gotcha. for wheat, what, uh, 
what's the skinny on sugar there in the Red River Valley? Yeah, you know, sugar's the hot topic these days. And probably not the the <laughs> probably not what the the audience wants to hear. It looks like sugar beet planted area is expected to be lower and be down by a little more than four percent from twenty twenty two, with twenty three projected at one point one million acres. You know, it always kind of uh, pales in comparison to you know some of the other row crops uh, that we focus on uh, internally in the U.S. But this one, you know, kind of further reiterates uh, the, a bullish uh, outlook uh, for sugar prices and, you know, arguably will come out with a, a decent uh, crop when it's all said and done. And we have been over the years seeing improvements uh, both in tonnage per acre uh, as well as sugar content per beet, again, kind of depending on the on the weather scenario. But, you know, as far as the that Red River Valley uh, area is concerned, that's that's one area where we're looking at a, a significant drop in acreage. So North Dakota is showing of all of the uh, states uh, referenced in the report, the largest acreage reduction down 37,000 acres of the total 48, almost 49,000 acre uh, reduction in the forecast. So that that is where a lot of this is is being chipped away and, you know, We've talked in the past about competing crops and prices and such and how that can be uh, influential at times. But I think, you know, overall, the thing that we're really going to be watching uh, that kind of encompasses all these crops is weather. (laughs) Now, uh, I think both you and I, Eric, uh, dreamt of being meteorologists when we were kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, keep keep a piece of that handy, and it definitely comes in handy in this business. But it's not it's not looking too good for anything getting put into the ground anytime soon. No, what do you think? I don't think you can plant through uh, three feet of snow in Minnesota. I, I don't <laughs> think it works that way. Exactly, exactly. And all that snow's got to melt. That snow's got to melt, and based on uh, the forecaster we reference uh, quite a bit. Not only is is does the, all that snow have to melt, and we're you know adding on to that snow even this week, and having experiencing some uh, incredibly low price or prices. Uh, that's where my mind is typically at. Incredibly low temperatures in the upper Midwest uh, earlier this week. We're also supposed to get a pretty uh, sharp turnaround in the weather uh, with warmer temps. And additional rain. So it's looking pretty solid at this point that we are going to experience some flooding in April. Mm-hmm. And that could be, it could be pretty serious flooding, particularly coming down uh, the Mississippi River, that is probably going to hinder a good chunk of the belt's ability to get planted early. So ideally, we'll see things warm up and dry down uh, in early May and uh, get past that that flooding, get get below flood stage pretty quickly uh, to be able to get everything we need planted in May. But you know how the market reads those types of scenarios. It makes it nervous. Yep. Uh, so, and, and rightfully so. And if we kind of consider also that that same forecaster is also expecting things to to dry down a little too much by June, July, 
and getting pretty dry in August. And I have to admit, this one makes me a little nervous because the, the analog year he's using, we've been trending very similarly to it right. uh, thus far. And we're incredibly optimistic about El Nino and, and what it could spell in terms of benefits for production, not just in North America, but in South America with, with better weather conditions. We got to get there first. And these uh, transitional periods between La Nina and El Nino can be a little interesting. So uh, say all that to say again, you know, with values, uh, even after today's rally, still on the lower end of things compared to where we've been for the, for the last uh, couple of years, you might want to consider uh, putting down a little, a little quote unquote hedge coverage there in case uh, the weather is not our friend this summer and uh, we see some price appreciation uh, between now and then, which, you know, I think is very, very uh, plausible at this stage. Well said. So, I think uh, I think that gets we not too bad twenty well over twenty minutes yeah. cover a lot of info. See, it should just you know you and not dream team, buddy. Hey, dream team. I knew we had it in us. <laughs> I know, I know. I think they trust us enough to do this these days. So I think that wraps it up. Concludes our hot commodity podcast. Yeah. Perfect. As always, want to thank everyone for listening. And as Mike would say, if he were here, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.